you know, we are going to have to challenge design itself in a number of ways. And we, we're kind of proud of design for its human centricity, but I see that as a kind of core challenge as well, because that is actually excluding other beings or natural systems. So I think we're going to have to think about what data and what insight and what empathy we bring in and how do we think and how do we get um, to inform our work with a wider a wider lens and just to kind of make that tangible you know a lot of service design projects will do their research and come into a, a, a room for a workshop and have some images and sort of information about service users that will help us kind of empathize with their needs and, and experiences so, so what if we brought in a river to the room or what if we brought in a regional ecosystem and started to design with that in context so that that's key for me Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I had the chance to talk to Ben Reason during Interaction 20 by XDA Milan. Ben is a founder of LifeWork, which has been one of the pioneers really of service design as one of the first design studios purely focusing on service design. He's been also a teacher and gave many lectures at various universities in different countries teaching service design. Besides talking about the evolution and future of service design, we also talk about sustainability. How on the one side making things into a service makes the ecosystem more sustainable because there are less or shared physical products in place, but also that service design plays a key role in driving sustainability and evolving design, going from human-centered design to designing with aspects like the environment and local systems in mind. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I'm here with Ben Reason. Thank you for, for making time. You're the founding partner of LifeWork, which is really a company and consultancy agency that really, I think, pioneered service design. You're doing that for quite a while already. So we're going to talk a little bit about service design. Also can talk a little bit about some of the projects where you really had the feeling you could drive impact uh, with service design. And then also know that you're quite passionate about sustainability recently. I think there's some a uh, lot of work on sustainability. Also in your talk, actually, you were sharing that you don't buy any clothes anymore, right? Very interesting. So we're going to talk also a little bit about that. So maybe for the people would be great to give if you could give them a little bit of context and tell them a little bit about your journey how you got into design and um, how you you know built up life work over all the years thanks sebastian and thanks for asking me i'm flattered so i i kind of fell into design i studied fine art and i graduated and i was trying to make art and being quite miserable and luckily had had bought a mac and taught myself to make and make things in Photoshop and make animations. And a friend saw them and he said, hey, we, we could give you some work. It was in the, the sort of early 90s. And then I kind of fell into the internet. So I was around at the right place at the right time to start working working with, with the internet and making websites early on and kind of grew and learned on the job rather than, um, than being kind of design trained. And then uh, the, in 2000, 2001, with a couple of colleagues who I'd been working with and where we shared kind of similar outlook on, on design and a similar frustration with the, with the firms we were working with, we decided to kind of go it alone. We all got together and we said, what should we do? And we were all sort of talking about services and realizing that it was mostly services that we'd been working with to date and that they generally disappointed people <laughs> and we thought there was a role for design there 
so that was 2000, like I said, 2000, 2001. You know, did you speak already in the terminology of service design back then or how the community of, of service design started to build up because you were quite early? Yeah, so we, we did start out and we said we're going to be a service design firm and there weren't any other like studios offering service design, pure and pure and simple. There were, you could study it in Cologne uh, with Birgit Marga and there were interesting work done by a woman called Lynn Shostak in the States looking at service blueprinting, which we drew on. And then we kind of pulled from bits and pieces. We'd had experience working with IDEO and we drew on things that they did. We drew on kind of concepts from brand about, you know, holistic design for the whole the whole experience. And we kind of made it up as we went along and experimented. So early days, we, we wanted to prove that it was a thing and we wanted to kind of play around and work out what, what was different about designing for services than designing for, for other things. Uh, particularly, I guess the other two guys had industrial design backgrounds. So they were really like, how's it different from designing for, for manufacture? Big part of that was like thinking about time, thinking about the fact that your, your interaction points are varied, could be human, could be digital, could be paper-based. We also early on worked a lot with the Interaction Design Institute in Avrea, where we did a lot of work with students and kind of experimental projects. Um, I was just saying like with Fiat to develop the discipline and to encourage other people to kind of join in and it's see where it would take us. I think what's interesting also is that when it comes to service design these days, there are a lot of words out there, right? There you have service design, you have customer experience, customer experience design, right? And then like this whole intersection of, you know, where does service design end and where we're going to talk about user experience design. How do you feel about all these buzzwords? I mean, what's really important for me and not being a, a I guess, a young, not being trained as a young designer, not having any expectations. I'm I kind of take it from the outside in. And I think a lot of people in businesses or other organizations, they they don't really have the time to figure out what flavor of design they're talking about. They generally know whether they create products or services. In the UK now, it's very easy because with government, because government only really creates services. So service design is really thriving in government. And I think service design is a useful term if you want to talk to, peop to non-design people who might actually employ you because you can talk about improving or creating new services, which is what they're interested in. I also think you know, from in terms of the, the kind of the fragmentation or the different flavors of design, we all come together and we make something together and we need all those different skills. So I, sometimes, I try and avoid those kind of discussions in a way of like, where do you draw the line between UX and service design? Because it's kind of, you're not focusing on the right thing. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, You know, it would be interesting, you know, since you got so much experience in that space, where were some of your projects was really striking to you that, you know, you can really drive impact with that approach. And maybe you can talk a little bit about examples of projects where you really felt like you could drive impact using service design. So, I mean, back when we started, two, two that spring to mind, so I'm one relevant to you at, in, in your industry. So I, we, we were sort of obsessed with this idea of moving something from product to service. I'd been reading a book called Natural Capitalism, which looks at servitization and how that can kind of change, especially um, like the resource use. How, so, so we were like, what's the most sort of shiny product that we could servitize? And we decided that cars were interesting and were, were sort of did this work with Fiat, got interested in car sharing, car clubs. And then came back to London and there was a startup called Streetcar who we approached and just said, your experience is going to have to be as good as the alternative option that your customers have, which is buying a new 
or you know buying a golf you can buy a golf or you can pay by the hour for a golf and then they and they took us on and we helped them launch and scale and they were very fast growing so we we saw impact there and it was also really useful for us because it was a good kind of it was our big story for what we meant and then we also worked in a b2b setting looking at business information and created a brand new service for experian from scratch you know so we actually helped them take some data that they had and turn it into a service that started to earn the money so kind of at two ends of the spectrum from doing something that was a bit more on the on the world changing kind of changing the nature of mobility to nuts and bolts kind of making money for a client those were early days and then recently I'm, we've been doing a lot of work in in healthcare especially around preventative health and helped london launch a service that is there to help people deal with stress and anxiety and things like that and explicitly building in impact measures so you can you can actually tell if someone's using this service not only how long are they using it for and are they kind of returning but also are they meeting clinical standards of health improvement and can we can we de demonstrate that so that you're not just talking about kind of financial outcomes you're also talking about health outcomes and, and health improvement so yeah sometimes it takes a while for a for a project to kind of work its way through and be out there in the world and you have those impacts but um you have to hang around and it it comes true i mean there's there was also a great book about services and thinking and then there was a, a recent time a new book called services and doing and i wonder a little bit about that transition especially the doing part so and then also how you include maybe other disciplines maybe like ux ui design in the process how do you approach the, the doing part of service design or like the execution of whatever you came up with so i mean that's a great book and if anyone is interested in service design and how you actually practice it it's got most of the good stuff in there so we kind of started to talk recently about there being two two phases of work that we do there's a sort of understand imagine piece which is the research and the problem definition and the and then there's and then there's the honing that down to a kind of a, a tangible vision which might well be a story about how a particular component of a service works or the or a whole new service but might also be about zooming into one interaction point which is is one place where you interface with ux ui so we had a, a project recently it was all about onboarding new customers for a service and we zoomed in on the the paperwork piece that needs to be done and then worked with um with a prototyper to build you know a tangible version of how that could go forward which is critical because that unlocks the imagination of all the other people who we took on the journey the legal people and the the operational people who need to sort of believe in something before they go to the next phase which was much more you know the design create phase where you're looking at okay what is what's the roadmap for putting things in place that realize your design you know and that needs to be both a process of making and testing and improving but also i guess a longer term idea about in what order you're going to do things and how you're going to manage the implementation over time so that generally is i guess on a we're improving an existing service kind of project but it works as well for something much more from from scratch or or significant change what are other disciplines you need to incorporate and for example for this doing but i mean there's also aspects like industry design is that also sometimes part of the conversation because it's also an interesting connection between like service design and then 
the aspect of physical spaces or products and how you could shape them differently with a service design approach. Yeah, I wonder a little bit about other disciplines you might do incorporate to execute the services and then. I guess that a lot of the time it's with technology. A lot of the time we're also working alongside some form of, of a management team who are going to have to make kind of make change happen. So less like if it, we, we worked on a project around with London Underground around the stations and obviously there's a physical interior design that there was also not directly involved in our project, but there was clothing design for uniforms and things like that. But um, generally our, our work is we're more closely related to non-design disciplines. Like I mentioned earlier, we'll kind of rub up against legal people or in healthcare, you need to work with clinicians. So most of the, most of the service design work is in a way we facilitate, like you said, the process and you're bringing in people who aren't used to working with design and helping them use the, that, the framework and the logic to, to do things differently. What I personally felt with, especially with services and projects, obviously you need to do research, right? So you need to you know, immerse yourself in the context you're designing for. In personal experience, the, the more time you can actually spend at the location and actually even if you could do like thinking sessions there in that actual space, for me, it's always and probably something that boosts uh, empathy and creativity. I wonder a little bit how you try to use the research phase and maybe the, the space you're actually designing for that environment. I mean, that's a nice a nice way of putting it. I think um, quite often research is separated from, you know, it's like we do the research and then we do the ideation. And I never in my experiences, that's personally not what happens. You're sitting there talking to somebody or watching them do what they what they're doing and you're, the ideas are coming all the time and you're just trying to like, how do I make sure I don't forget these things? I've never really thought particularly about how you might design that space to do that. But the idea that you're, those two things are more happening in parallel, you know, understand, imagine rather than purely doing your research and then coming back round again to, to ideate. So yeah, that's, um, I'm going to take that thought away. <laughs> Thank you. There's all the, also the aspect of prototyping services now, right? If you, you know, come up with a, a, there's certain types of prototyping, you could do role play and those kind of different prototyping tools. I'm wondering a little bit, what are you, what are the methods you use in terms of like prototyping services? And I mean, you could use video as well, right? I mean, you need later on sort of tell the story about how you envision the service to play out, right? So I wonder a little bit about what are the tools you use for, for prototyping and maybe the importance as for you in the process. So I, mean, I sort of think, of prototyping as being a very, very varied set of options that you have between kind of a rough idea and, and firming that up over time. And there's all sorts of things you need to do in that phase. You need to kind of test things with customers or people or users or whatever frame of mind they're in to make sure things work. But you also need to do that with all of the other stakeholders to make sure that they kind of, it works for them. So it's a multi-directional, you know, we, we did some work in, with a maintenance service where testing with the sales team and the, and the engineers was as important as testing with the customer because they were going to be using tools that we were creating. And then also testing with, with management or executives to make sure that they, you know, they're bought into this and this is something they're going to fund and support. And prototyping is also a very useful way of, of kind of getting people to buy into something. So it's, in that way, it's got all sorts of purposes. I mean, some examples of, of things I think I mentioned with London Underground, we ran a prototype station, which was partly new processes, partly new technology that was going to be used in the station for selling tickets and things, but also changing people's 
the big thing was we were going to ask all of the staff to change their role and their job description and they're all members of a union and they don't do that without serious consideration so we used the prototype to help them understand that future job rather than just give them a piece of paper which would describe what they might do in the in the future we actually let them walk through it test it feedback on it and things like that one other thing i'd say about prototyping is we've so debbie who works at live work has been leading us to use what she, what she calls a, crit, a critical assumptions framework to guide prototyping so it's really about testing the testing the things that are most likely to fail and to planning your prototyping to do that so we've been i guess this works well if you're especially with with technology and you're putting things out but also with a service so we We've been running a service prototype where at one level it, there's an app, which is the, the future kind of service vehicle. But on the other level, this requires marketing and sales and support and all sorts of things. So the, there's also been a Facebook group where we've had about 20 future customers in the group testing, testing things and testing the relationship and, and things like that and feeding back on those assumptions. So another thing that's I think interesting about services and the amount of stakeholders you need to design for, because you know if you design B2C product, you, you pretty much know the user group at least, and you can shape the experience. But with service design, very often, I mean, also some of the projects you were highlighting, do you have a very complex setup of stakeholders you need to design for, right? You have the The people in the background you need to include like you, you maybe want to change something there in terms of the infrastructure then you have the the user that might actually use the product so you have all kinds of different user groups so this can be sometimes overwhelming and i wonder a little bit how you deal with all these different stakeholders and sort of align them in the in the process so i mean partly you do it through part of the the research is understanding the system not just the like you say, not just the customer, what system am I? So for example, when I talked about the preventative health work, you need to understand that what do doctors need and what do public health you know, experts require, which is something different. And then what do local authorities in London need? Practically, and we do use a, a service blueprint to look at how these stakeholders are, are, what role they're taking at different phases of a, of a service. So what do they, What, what are they doing at a, at a, or not doing at a certain point? So if a service is being, you know, if something goes wrong in a service, who's kind of got a stake in that point and what do they need to know? And that can go both ways. So, you know, we use the service blueprint and have layers that look at different roles and what role they're playing. But also if you look at, if, you, if your customer is, say, an organization, you might say, well, what are the users doing and what are their managers doing and what are their leaders doing? And, and pull it together in that way. So it, then that blueprint becomes a kind of canvas for looking at bringing people together around a, a sort of a single view of, of what the service could be. What would be good examples for you these days for really great service design from your uh, point of view? You know, maybe examples that are, that are out there. So I do have a guilty secret that I don't always like things to be so fantastically smooth and, and well-designed. You know, sometimes sometimes those kind of frictions and failures are what make up experiences. So, I mean, just for example, I, I took the sleeper train here, which wasn't the perfect service, but it was a good, you know, it was an experience and, and it adds to, adds to my life. So I, I do worry that service design kind of goes down a route, which is like, we're here to smooth the corners. We're here to make things easy for people and things like that. So I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at, at choosing a, a good experience when it comes to, <laughs> it comes to services. Tricky, tricky question. 
I know that you you're also you know very passionate about sustainability like we were discussed earlier like uh, you, in the talk yesterday you said you decided to don't buy any uh, clothes anymore right yeah. you know how do you integrate sustainability in your services and projects how you introduce that topic to the stakeholders you work with and why do you think services and can really drive impact there yeah thank you so I mean we're here at the IXD conference and And I, I guess I was here to introduce some early thinking. Last year, LiveWork decided that we we're going to put sustainable futures prominently in our in our ambitions. So your your questions are good, and I don't have all the all the answers to them. But I think, and what I was talking about yesterday was that you know we are going to have to challenge design itself in a number of ways. And we we're kind of proud of design for its human centricity, but I see that as a kind of core challenge as well because that is actually excluding other beings or natural systems. So I think we're going to have to think about what data and what insight and what empathy we bring in and how do we think and how do we get um, to inform our work with a wider a wider lens. And just to kind of make that tangible, you know, a lot of service design projects will do their research and come into a, a, a room for a workshop and have some images and sort of information about service users that will help us kind of empathize with their needs and, and experiences. So, so what if we brought in a river to the room or what if we brought in a regional ecosystem and started to design with that in context? So that that's key for me. And I think the other thing I think we're going to need to do is is talk is get even more collaborative. We're going to have to bring other groups and other people into into design. But I do think, you know, we can offer because design is a is a sort of an activity you do in response to some information about thinking about what you might do next. And it's almost a pause in between some data and some a need or a problem and an action that allows people to consider a range of, of different options and not jump or panic or and you know as our planetary environment becomes less reliable and we and we maybe get hit by more crises or we have to start thinking about the things that we might need to stop doing then at least it gives you a framework to work with or for communities or organizations to work with to think about how they might how they might respond in a conscious and considered and creative way rather than a, a kind of a panic way or a or a denial way you asked about introducing it to, to clients and things and how do you bring it in and i think that's a brilliant and and kind of tough question because we are being hired generally to as i was saying yesterday kind of optimize our human affairs but not in the wider context, we're just going to have to start having the conversation and making that step. But the, the exciting thing is, I think, I guess, exciting and scary. Most organizations are having to have that conversation now. You know, it comes up, it's it's on the agenda. And, and I think it's just that's just going to happen more and more. So we hope we can have a role to play. I mean, when it comes to, you know, introducing these topics, obviously one aspect coming from the outside to a stakeholder, you know, trying to map things out can feel like sometimes there's some restrictions maybe also from some stakeholders to really open up. I wonder a little bit about how you integrate all aspects in the, in the process. I've been looking into what's called dilemma thinking around this because I think Often uh, with these things, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. So dilemma thinking might say there's a there's a rock, there's some limits, some serious facts on one side. You know, climate change is, would be one of those. And then there there's the kind of the turbulence of change and the the feasibility of change. So I, I guess if you're if you're in a if you're a large organization and you've got your your current 
capabilities and your current activities is this question about how do we you know how fast do we have to move what can we change what should we prioritize so dilemma thinking like let's helps you get those two things on the table so you might say well these are the these these are the facts that we that we face and these are the things that are kind of likely to to happen but these are the the kind of trade-offs or things that we might need to to do and the pain i guess the painful things that would be there if we in change and you can either you can then look at like the messy compromises you might make or the creative sort of opportunities that are in that space. So I think, I mean, I'm going to sort of draw on past experience. So I think sometimes bringing in user, like in healthcare, you bring in a patient's experience. It can actually be quite difficult for a health service to hear because they're basically hearing that the patient, which is generally why they're there, you know, their purpose as isn't, get isn't happy isn't kind of getting what they need and sometimes we run away from those those scary things and i think the useful thing with design is it helps you deliberate you don't just have to kind of emotionally react you actually have a a method for taking that kind of stuff in and working through what those options might be how do you measure the the, the impact you can drive with services and obviously there are certain kind of certain types of you know measurement tools you know, qualitative quantitative i wonder a little bit about your learnings in terms of quantifying that somehow or giving maybe some of the stakeholders feedback about the impact you you drove or you're going to drive you measure what's important and the outcomes that are desired and ideally you understand and you agree what those are before you embark on something so a good a good design brief will have outcomes desired outcomes defined in there and then you can find out whether those things are already been measured and then it's simply a f matter of acting and and then looking at how you've done against that benchmark sometimes we find those things aren't necessarily getting measured or or the wrong things are being measured sort of on a more technical level aligning the measures with the with customer experience so measuring what's an outcome for a customer and looking at that from a business point of view is how we generally would approach it so if um let's take a really a sort of simple example i talked about this project around onboarding getting really clear about what a kind of an outcome is for a customer so a customer wants to be onboarded and they they want to know that they are now a customer of that company and they can use whatever it was that they signed up for and that should be the metric that the company is also using and they can look at what value that has to them you know that's a a kind of confirmed new sale for example if that helps so we've used that framework in in this healthcare space as well in a much more complex way so you're looking at that measures from a health and a population level and how they might they might map to the customer experience super interesting maybe as a last question i think because we need to wrap it up there's been a lot of talk about the impact of design and the importance of design for business and i think service design is also one of the drivers i think of this i want to know a little bit about your view on this and where do you see this going moving forward it's a it's a funny one so i think design is i guess because design is not a a kind of a numbers or an analytic based discipline it generally seems to find itself on the back foot when it comes to impact partly i think designers probably aren't particularly good at setting themselves up to have that Im impact measured sometimes we're not around when the impact actually is achieved i got a call from a client we worked with a couple of years ago and he said oh by the way that project you worked with it's now in 10 countries and they've gone from a one percent to a four percent growth and i said oh thanks for telling you know thanks for telling us that it took a while but it's fantastic you've achieved it so i 
I kind of, in a way, think there's it's like two sides of the same coin. One is like we should ex- absolutely know what the objectives and the metrics that we are designing around before we embark on things. But on the other side, we probably need to worry about it a bit less as design becomes more accepted. I did have a client who we you know we went in and we said we really want to know what what your objectives are and what are we going to measure and he, he was like oh don't worry about that i trust i trust it's going to pay off it's okay <laughs> so yeah i think um i guess the final thing is is like not all design is effective you know we have to be aware that, that we're just another discipline and there's good and there's bad design in terms of its its effect so and people are going to need to be discerning about what's what's going to be effective who's who's going to help them achieve what they need to and how do you evaluate that yeah so i think we need to wrap it up because of time but yeah thank you so much super inspiring to learn about your experience pioneering service design thank you so much that was the episode if you want to give us feedback on the podcast have something to contribute to the next episode or just want to get in touch feel free to connect with us either on facebook twitter Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.